Hello, and welcome to the Find Calm Here podcast. I'm your host, Deb Shell. I interview entrepreneurs to learn how they found calm through the process of creating their ideal lifestyle. Inside our Find Calm Here community, we connect with each other and offer members a safe space to continue conversations around our unique, unique method of clarity, awareness, learning, and motion, which is the CALM method. Uh, this process is how I've paid off $46,000 of debt, left my stressful corporate job, and built an online business during the 2020 pandemic. Uh, if you want to join us inside the Find Calm Here community, it is free. You will have access to more than 30 hours of our workshops to help you maybe find a little calm in uh, 2021, which is where we are right now in the end of January. Uh, we've hosted so many amazing virtual events, so I'm super excited to let you like check those out if you're interested. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to Jason Robinson. He's a friend of mine through a different community, and uh, he's paid off $50,000 of debt, ditched his nine-to-five corporate job, and became control of his income. He went from a renter to a homeowner and then, amazingly, to a digital nomad, all in a matter of a few years. Uh, so welcome, Jason. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm so glad you're here. Can you share a little bit about um, your journey? Like, I know we met in 2018 at the uh, DenX experience, and that seems so long ago <laughs> from now. A lot of things have changed for both of us, and I'm just, I'm excited to maybe see, like, if you want to just recap, like, maybe what your motivations were for, for doing these amazing things. <laughs> uh, yeah, you actually touched on in the intro, something that doesn't come up very often, but yeah, when I was 28 years old, I realized that I was $50,000 in debt and that that wasn't going to fly. It was one of those epiphanies where it's like, how did I not realize how important this was at the time? Um, but you know, over four years there, I paid off $50,000 worth of debt. And then that kind of started to free up the decisions that I was going to make, you know, within my thirties and towards the end of that. But uh, yeah, you know, about five years ago, the seed was, was taking form where I, I knew that there was this, you know, life of travel and life of, uh, without the strings of, of the typical um, keeping up with the Joneses lifestyle of, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I thought I needed to own a house. That was a sign of it being adult or, you know, a sign of good um, investments. And, and really that was somebody else's thought process. I didn't realize that I had my own until I was maybe into my thirties, but um, so yeah, you know, around age, uh, well, honestly, it was about three years ago. I really started kind of changing my life to, to be more travel centric and started using experiments to, push myself beyond my comfort zone and really test the waters of what I wanted to do and what fit me, uh, and giving myself the freedom to try things without, you know, this, you know, pass fail mentality and, you know, long story short, we can get into it you know, as we go here, but, you know, three years ago, I had only been to, uh, three countries, you know, the United States being one of those that I grew up in and, you know, it, now I've traveled internationally quite a few times. Again, like you said, I sold my house. I built out my Jeep, traveled the U.S. a little bit, um, got rid of all my location dependent clients and rebuilt my income streams um, purely based on 
the tenant that I would be able to do my work wherever I want to. And uh, yeah, last year I sold my house and now I'm, now I'm hunkered down during a pandemic, but I should be traveling a little bit more than currently am. Yeah. So there's so many things that you just said that we could go off into a couple directions, but I wanted to just kind of, uh, we talk uh, in the fine calm here community about getting into your discomfort zone when it's talking about either like as you're starting uh, your business as an entrepreneur or whether you're like, <clears throat> you know, trying to figure out how to leave your corporate job or a myriad of other things. Maybe like you want to have travel goals. Um, many of us talk about that in, in the community as well, but you talked about like the comfort zone and then treating things as an experiment. And I know that's kind of the head of what your, um, your kind of uh, experience is you, you do that. So can you get, go in a little bit more detail about what, what that means to you as far as the experiment? Yeah. So, you know, my, my, uh, my website, the name of my website is called the nomad experiment. And it was kind of an epiphany, an epiphany to me one day. Uh, I knew that I had this idea of being a digital nomad one of these days, you know, I've, I'd heard about it for 10 years and um, my, my website's, old name was the digital nomad um, spelled in some weird way because somebody already owned that. Um, I was sitting there having a conversation with somebody and I was like, you know, that feels false. It feels fake. It feels like I'm false advertising because I don't really truly understand what a digital nomad is, what that life is like, what, you know, what it really entails. And I'm a very honest person and open book. I like to be forthcoming. And, and it just felt like there was a disconnect between, you know, what I was putting out there and what my real life was like. And, that conversation, I said, you know, it's more like an experiment. And I said, it's kind of like a nomad experiment. And then like all the bells and whistles and you know, gongs went off. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what it is. It is a it is an experiment. And the moment that clicked, um, you know, my backstory is that I'm an art director, uh, you know, a senior designer, graphic designer. I've been a studio manager where I had, you know, designers underneath me and I was kind of, I hate that phrase, not underneath me, you know, designers where I was the one kind of leading the charge and making sure that everyone's projects were on uh, pace and things were getting done. So a lot of checking the boxes, making sure things are perfectly in order, a lot of production management, you know, things going to print where if something gets messed up, these are, you know, know, hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. Um, So that was the way my brain always worked. And once I clicked into this experiment mentality of it doesn't have to be black or white, it doesn't have to be, you know, true or false, wrong or right. There's all this room in between because an experiment is literally a fact finding mission. And once you, you know, find out what you find out, you then use that information to create more experiments and find out more. And there's just so much more freedom in that. So yeah, once I, once I kind of locked into that idea, uh, I really just started putting rubber to the road and giving myself some crazy challenges, uh, crazy experiments, all with the guys or all with the the reality that if at any point I didn't feel comfortable with something or I chose, you know, Hey, I tried this thing and this isn't the road that I want my life to go down or, you know, van life's not my thing or being a nomad or traveling out of a backpack's not my thing. Giving myself the full, you know, ability to go back and do something that I've already done or, you know, do the things that I know that where my comfort zone is. Um, so giving myself that flexibility as well. That's awesome. I, I love the part where you're talking about 
um, you know, really connecting to something that's authentic to you. Like you realize that there is like a misalignment with, you know, what you're, where you were doing. And now you like change and adjust and like, Oh, I see this as an experiment, which also gives fact that you can say, I let go of perfection. Cause I know uh, you were talking to me about a lot of the time about, um, you know, really having to have that perfect uh, page or perfect, however, like whatever it is. And instead just taking it as an experiment and letting go and giving yourself grace around um, these experiments and then not expecting them to all work out and saying, okay, well, if it doesn't work out, we just readjust and that's where we go. So I love one of the beautiful that. things about that is, is it actually helps you disarm others. Um, because when you're doing something that's really counterculture, you know, obviously a lot of our audience, they, they're clued into this maybe digital nomad or solopreneur or, you know, entrepreneur mindset where, you know, a lot of the maybe more typical conservative, traditional um, societal norms uh, are, you know, we're, we're a little bit outside of that understanding of, of what's possible, but there's still so many people that are quite traditional, quite, you know, uh, old school. And you, you know, the goal is to get a job, buy a house, retire, and then, you know, maybe travel the world. Um, so when you try, when somebody like me tries to explain to my parents or to my best friends, um, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, let go of all my clients and rebuild and maybe travel the world for the rest of my life. You know, it freaks them out. They're like, they don't understand it. They want you to be safe and all this different stuff. But it actually really helped me to be able to look at them and say, you know what, I'm just going to do a few little experiments. I'm going to go, you know, you're buying a one-way ticket to Mexico. That's crazy. Nah, just a little experiment. I'm going to go down there. If I don't feel good about it, I'll book a flight back and I'll be back in a couple of days. If, if it's going well, then I'll keep going. Um, I'm going to buy a van to test van life. It's a little experiment. If I don't like it, I'll sell it a month later and I will have rented it for a few hundred dollars. You know, those things, it actually helps the conversation with other people too, to kind of think of it in that, in that mindset. Yeah, I think so much. It's funny when you say that, because I'm thinking about like my own experiences of like trying to do certain things and explaining it to people. And then they're like, they don't really get it. And what I think is funny is the whole concept of like working really hard and then like, not like your most of your like prime life when you're like in, in a good space where you can like get, you know, get around well and things like that and not utilizing that time for things that you enjoy, but like working your whole life and then hoping that you have enough to have a great like last 20 years, which I feel like is kind of ridiculous in a sense, because then you, nobody's guaranteeing you that first of all, that you'll make it to those, that time period of retirement. And even if you do make it to that time of retirement, you could have had the, all these amazing experiences. So I love that you're kind of like, you're trying to like share these like new, maybe new to them concepts or ideas in your own way of saying, well, let me just try. It's not going to be like a forever thing, which is also a great way for people to exit their corporate job. If they have like, like you were saying, like if you have a savings and you've already like factored like how much you need for like six months. And then you're saying, I'm going to go travel for six months or a year and then, and start my business or work on things. And then maybe in a year from now, I have to go back and get another job. Like what's the worst that could happen is basically the question is like, if I try something, what's the worst that's going to happen? And then that kind of brings it into like 
perspective of, okay, it's not going to be that bad. Oh, and that's, that's actually a lens that I try and use a lot, especially being this analysis paralysis over analyzer is, you know, literally writing down the column of what's the worst that can happen and what's the best that can happen. Typically when you do that with any exercise, that's, you know, clearly not doomed from the start, the list of good things is much longer than the list of bad things. And if you are realistic about it, you can probably mark off most of those crazy things. And they're, the likelihood of them happening is so small, whereas the likelihood of the good things happening is so large. You know, for instance, with travel, you know, I could get murdered. Yep, you could. The likelihood of that is so so low that it's crazy. Or I could meet new friends. I could say yes to an opportunity. I could, I could this, that, or the other. And all of those things are so much more possible than so many of those other things. It, you know, that's an exercise that I do a lot to get myself out of my own way and uh, kind of get me moving to buy the ticket or to do, you know, do the thing. And you also touched on something else that um, kind of to go in a little bit deeper, deeper detail is I don't think people give themselves enough credit for what they have done in their lives and the things that don't simply go away based on one decision that you make today. You know, there's, there are some big decisions that are going to be hard to move back from. If you have kids, if you get married or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Those are, those are big, you know, for lack of a better word, baggage situations that come with a lot of responsibility, but as far as changing jobs or, you know, if you bought a car that now you're regretting because the payment's too high, you can sell the car. You're going to, lose out on some money. If you, if you change jobs, um, you still know how to do all of these things and you can go back. There might be a small financial hit, but, you know, that kind of goes back to the whole financial freedom thing. You know, it's, it's, it's so such an important thing. And, and I think it's hard for people to understand uh, people that are in consumer debt until they see the freedom of being debt-free. You can't compare the, the two things. Um, I didn't understand exactly how freeing that was going to be whenever I paid off $50,000 worth of debt. And now I've lived debt-free for seven years, you know, the ability to make uh, decisions that would be very difficult when you're strapped with money, you know, that four years of, of very difficult paying things off, you know, doing nothing, not drinking any beer, not doing anything crazy for four years. It seems like a blip in the timeline now, you know, it doesn't seem like it was that big of a thing, but the, the benefit from that sense has really given me some freedom to make some different decisions. Um, yeah. Powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, you reminded me of when I was, um, trying to get debt free and just like, you know, it's, it doesn't even, that was like three years ago and it doesn't even seem like it fe feels like so far, away, like long ago. And I was just like, you know, it's funny because it was hard in that time, but like the benefits are so much more worth like the sacrifices that you make. One of the things that you were saying earlier that I wanted to touch on too is um, experience that you brought. Like you have this experience from the corporate life or the, you know, the structure of a, of a traditional job and with the leadership that you had and the time and project management skills that you have, is that something you brought into, and it seems like it probably it is, into what you're doing now as far as like, I think the biggest struggle solo entrepreneurs have is like they have so many things because they have 12 hats and how do they get everything done and how do they also have a life? And so I feel like you seem to have a good balance on that. And I wanted to get a little bit more of your take on that. Well, that kind of goes back to the money situation in that 
<laughs> it's another simple statement that's probably really uh, uh, not sure how to <laughs> how to say it, but if you're spending less, you need to make less. It's as simple as that. And I think, you know, everybody has their own epiphanies throughout their life in certain times. Some people become, you know, more, more materialistic, not saying that in a condescending or, a, you know, way, but some people are just more drawn to material things and they want those things. Some people are drawn to minimalism. Some people switch back and forth and, and see both within their lives. I've been on both sides of many coins. I've been a home, like you mentioned in the intro, I've been a homeowner, I've been a renter, I've been location independent, I've been a business owner, I've been, you know, almost a partner in a business with somebody else. Um, I've also been an employee. So as you get to see these different sides of these different coins, you go, <clears throat> oh, well, you know, I thought I had a good over here, but now I see this other side and, and I can understand it a little bit more. Um, so from going from somebody who owned a home, a small home, modest home, and had all of these things, and then slowly testing the waters towards not owning those things, but spending my time and money more on experiences, I realized that life can cost a lot less. And my life costs significantly less these days than it did for 15 years of my life. And, and the experiences are tenfold. So, in, you know, in the past three years, since I really started touching travel. I didn't start traveling until I was 38 years old. You know, I, I saw my third country when I was 39 um, outside of the United States. So, but since those years, I've spent less money than I was in the preceding years. Um, and the experiences on a daily basis are just so much more adventuresome and unique and, and heartfelt that I no longer have that materialistic bone in me that's you know, whenever I buy something now, it's just like, you know, number one, that's, that's baggage. That's something I got to clean. It's something I got to maintain. It's something I got to store, or I cannot have that thing. And I can just put this money towards the experiences and those experiences cost less and less and less these days. It's more just about putting yourself in the right places with the right opportunities. Um, now, as far as the, you know, what I brought from my old corporate life to this new life, I'm a type A structured person. So I do still, you know, get up and start working by 7am, even though technically I'm the boss, you know, I know what, I know when my good hours of work are, I'm, I'm the strongest between seven and one. And then I know that I taper off in the afternoon and, I, and I'll sporadically get more good work done, but I, I got to hit it early. Um, but I think you, you touched on something that's important is we've built all these things. We've built not only knowledge internally and, and emotional strength and, and, and dexterity and all of those things, but we've also built external relationships that are really important um, that don't go away unless, and I don't think that any of your listeners are these types of people, unless you're just burning bridges like crazy and flipping people off and saying, screw you, I'm going my own way. You know, we have so many relationships and opportunities that we can build on if you choose to change directions, if you choose to go one way or the other, assuming you're a good human being who cares about others and, and is a good professional, um, that's a pretty low, uh, low bar. I think, uh, you know, do, do things you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do them for the people you say they're going to do them for. And if you follow those three things, you're going to go pretty far in life. You're going to, you're going to be okay. Even though there's going to be things that are going to you know, crop up. Yeah. Oh, wow. So many things from that I was just thinking about. Um, one of the things I did 
was thinking about like today actually on my walk is this concept of like leaving a structure and then having to create your own structure. And I feel like that might take a little bit of time. I don't know for you if it took a little bit of time. Like a year ago, I left a corporate job. I was trying to like juggle all of these different things in the air and I struggled. And then there was like the pandemic and that kind of contributed to a lot of the struggle I had. And so I wondered if there's any like relation or, or a moment that you were like, okay, I need some structure in my life. Um, in addition, like maybe another level of that, um, maybe you already had a structure, but maybe there was something that you felt you needed like a support. Well, and a community, I think is part of that, how we met, maybe that would be a part of your structure. Yeah. I think that's definitely something as you branch out into something new, you and I, you know, both know how important it is to have people that, that resonate with your ideas and, you know, something like going towards location independence or getting out of the normal corporate track or going, you know, full-time remote. It's so counterculture still, even, you know, obviously with the pandemic and people working remote more, um, it's still very counterculture. So having resonating voices that can simply support you in, um, in what others might call your crazy ideas. Um, that's important. Uh, can't be underplayed. Um, but I, I think for, you know, part of the answer there is really just finding what makes you happy. And I, I still say that I don't know what I want to be when I grow up um, because there's so many things that are interesting to me that I know I have, you know, a, I wouldn't say a talent for, I have a, I have desire to do, and I have enough drive to do the work to figure those things out. But we know that that's a slippery slope and, and you can try 20 different things and you're diluting your, you know, you're, you're diluting your opportunity to make one of those things great or two of those things great. So, you know, it's a never ending battle to, refine and define and then refine again what you're doing with your life, how you're doing it, and whether that's checking the majority of the boxes that you need. So even for me, it's a matter of being kind of introspective, you know, writing down the goals, looking at what I'm doing this year, what I want to do, what kind of impact I want to make, and how that revolves around money or, you know, the reality that we do have to make a living and Um, things like that. So, you know, for me at the moment, I'm writing a book and I have been, uh, I've been writing this thing on and off for about a year, but honestly, over the past three weeks, I've, I've done more diligent work in the past three to four weeks than I've done in the previous year. And I've had this conversation with myself, like, okay, I could do this for the rest of my life. I really do enjoy this process. So, if I elevate that to the number one most important thing, where do the other things fall? Get rid of, you know, allow the other things to, to go by the wayside as much as they can and, you know, really elevate that thing that's that's lighting you on fire at the moment. I think it's a little bit crazy for people, uh, the people that talk about find your passion, find your passion. I think there's so few people that truly just stumble upon their passion and they're happy with that for the rest of their lives, especially if they're the type of people that learn and they want to self-improve and they want to grow. I think, you know, the more you learn, the more you learn that there's more to know. So, you know, never settling is, is kind of what I've figured out is going to be the rest of my life. Um, just kind of let that ebb and flow, make sure you can make a living or at least get by and, you know, maybe take a sabbatical here and there if you got the money to float yourself for two or three months to try something new. 
back to what you said, what's the worst that can happen? You, you eat some savings for a month or two and then you get back to it and you, um, you know, make ends meet. So, um, yeah, it's a constant evolution. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's funny that a couple of things you just said, uh, really that spoke to me, um, finding your passion. Well, I had a passion of photography. I went to school, I have a bachelor's degree in photojournalism. I worked in journalism for 10 years. I was very passionate about writing and photography and, t- and sharing, uh, stories of community members where I lived. And, I identified as that person for a really long time. And when I ended up getting fired at my journalism job and struggled to find another one and and then really just decided, you know, this really isn't for me anymore. That was like a really hard thing to like disassociate myself from like, oh, I'm Deb. I'm not just like photo Deb or writing Deb. I'm like, I'm just Deb. Then I'm like, uh, changing to be a salesperson. And I was in the corporate sales world. Um, then I became location independent and I was, um, now I created a community and now I'm a community builder. Now I also write, I create photographs. I bring people together in our mastermind groups. There's so many things that we have, can have a passion about. It doesn't necessarily mean, and passion, I think there's, I, I listened to a lecture and I can't remember who exactly said it, but um, passion doesn't equal like your income, like your, your financial, like how you make a living doesn't necessarily mean that you will be happy doing your passion as a living. I mean, I did photography for a long time and I wasn't always happy with that. And it, it kind of, I struggled with that as a creative, although other other ways you can find a balance to say, oh, well, there's something I need to do right now. Like I'm looking for remote jobs because I'm back in the situation of I need to start getting some reliable income because I went through all my savings. And so like, this is like, I'm in that worst case scenario now. I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's time to like reevaluate. And now I have to look for some work, but I also can like take all of the experience I've learned and put that into a new career, which is the community building and um, connecting people in in these great groups that we like to talk about these masterminds um, and setting goals and identifying what's really important right now and what's going to get me the farthest. So in our 90-day business mastermind, we were talking about like what's going to send us, propel us forward towards our goal without um, taking up a lot of time and energy because we're needing to balance that. So we talked a lot about that, but I loved the fact that you talk a lot about that with what you're doing. And I really appreciate that. I want to change subjects a little bit because I want to talk about travel because we haven't done a lot about travel. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to find out, you know, how did you, okay. How did you decide on where to go? first because the world is big. And like you were saying, you hadn't traveled much. I haven't traveled much either. I've still only been to one, one country, which is Mexico (laughs) other than the U S. So you are not, you're in company. That's understanding of like, there's people, my mother is 72 years, 74, 70 something. And she has not ever gone out of the U S except for maybe a day in Canada. Mm. There's people that are going to live their whole lives and yep. die and never have traveled anywhere other than their four block radius. And that's yep. just the truth. And it's, I think it, it can be a positive experience 
I believe it certainly helps you build your understanding and compassion for others when you are understanding other cultures. Mm -hmm. And so how did you choose on where to go first? Let's go back to that question. So how did I choose where to go first and how I choose where I go now are two different answers to a similar question. So I'll cover both, you know, somewhat quickly. Um, the first place that I really traveled to as a solo traveler was when I was 32 years old, I went to Austin, Texas and I got a hostel. I had never stayed in a hostel before. Um, but it was one of those points where I was just like, okay, no one's teaching me how to do this. There's nobody going to hold my hand. And unless I want to, you know, I, I, I say, unless I wanted to grow old with you know, cranky old man with secondhand perceptions of the world, um, I needed to do it. So I literally sat there with a, a browser window open with flights and a browser window open with uh, a hostel. And I saw that there were beds and I saw that there were flights and I didn't know where else to go. I had never been anywhere really. So it didn't matter. I heard Austin was cool. I knew nothing about it, but I was like, well, going is better than not going. So just pick a place and make sure that the, the dots line up and go there. Um, so that was actually the first, first, uh, taste of, of this life was, you know, when I was 32 years old, I'm, I'm 42 right now. And since then, I really have kind of adopted more of a mentality of you haven't been anywhere yet. So quit being so concerned about going to certain places or all the places. Uh, the similar mentality, I try and you know, parlay to people as far as when you go someplace, you are not going to get it all in. You know, you're not going to do all the things. So stop trying to do it and start enjoying the things that you can do. So, you know, for me now, it's a matter of, you know, finding out what place has a threshold that I'm comfortable going to. And as I travel more and more, my threshold, you know, gets pushed out even more and I get more comfortable with travel, but I'm still so new at this to where I have to feel comfortable going to a place or I have to put mechanisms in place to make me feel comfortable. You know, whether that's going to Mexico, you know, just to the South of us or going over to Europe or, or even overlanding the U S um, those are all things where it's like, okay, where's my minimum level of comfort and what can I do to reduce some of those hurdles and get me on that trip so that I can then continue to grow from there. So, you know, these days, you know, obviously with a full on digital nomad lifestyle or the ability to be completely nomadic, you can go anywhere, but it is, it is driven by cost and it's driven on, you know, how, how far the U S dollar can go um, in those places. And, you know, the beauty of that is, you know, we, we benefit from a strong us dollar when we go to places. I hate the way that sounds be, because it almost sounds like we're taking advantage of that situation. But in reality, I get to spend more money when I go to those places and I get to give back to those communities even more than I do in the U S because our dollar, you know, doesn't go very far here. And we, we have to pinch our pennies and things like that. Whereas when I go down to Mexico, I can, I can throw out a 20, 30, 40% tip and it, and it barely hurts me, but it's definitely going to help somebody else in a big way. So, um, but yeah, you know, the destination choices definitely depend on, you know, the, the less expensive places to go, because for me right now, why not go to more places that fit within that financial, you know, zone 
And then later on, maybe I can go to some of those more expensive places should I choose to do so. Or maybe I meet somebody who lives in one of those more expensive places and says, hey, come hang out for a few weeks. Um, you know, so as I, as relationships grow and your, your, your worldwide nomadic network grows, you know, you might have some more of those opportunities. Yeah, I was going to ask you the question of slow travel versus fast travel. And it seems like um, back in 2019, I think, is when you were doing a bunch of countries all at the same time. Was that when you did some yeah, European? I, yeah, I sold my house in... When did I sell my house? <laughs> it's been a blurry couple of years. I think it was um, 2019 because I went to the Mexico yeah. experience in... In February of 2019. And then I know that like a couple of months after that was when you were, I feel like that was when you were saying about you sold your house and then you were going to yeah. sometime in. Yeah. So I, so I sold my, I sold my house in, in May, 2019 and immediately took my Jeep, which I, I have my four door Jeep Wrangler built out to where I have bed and storage platforms in the back. So I can actually use it kind of like a van life, but, um, using the vehicle that I had instead of actually buying a van and outfitting a van. So uh, the minute I sold my house, I just headed off towards the West coast and checked out seven or eight national parks along the way and spent two months going across the U S um, doing YouTube videos and writing and working. And then from there, you know, I took a month break and headed over to Europe and I essentially went from uh, Ireland to uh, Budapest and Prague, uh, Munich, Bratislava, Paris, and a couple other spots in between. And that was, you know, before that time, the only places that I had been were the US, Mexico, and London once. So it was <laughs> two months over in Europe, uh, kind of going nonstop, hostel to hostel, and, you know, pretty exhausting, but amazing experience. Um, really pushing my boundaries and uh, first, first real chance to experience that free, complete freedom. Um, I did take a few months off of actual uh, paid work during that time. So kind of once I sold the house, I took a couple bucks from that and said, okay, let me go over to Europe and just concentrate on living a little bit. And I was also doing, you know, doing a lot of YouTube and writing. So I was still doing full-time work, just wouldn't get paid for it. Um, But yeah, I essentially, um, got a tooth pulled in Budapest and cause I had a root canal that broke. And so I wasn't going to spend $6,000 here in the U S for, you know, to get a tooth pulled and get an implant. So over in Budapest, they have world-class, you know, dental that, that everybody in Europe goes to Budapest for it. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Budapest. And, uh, so I got a tooth you know, molar pulled back there and, uh, I'll go back there this year to, start getting an implant and, you know, grand total of like $1,400 as opposed to about 6,000, what it would be here in the U S for the best dental service I've ever had in my life, which includes any of my dental services I've had here in the U S. Um, yeah, I got a tattoo in Budapest. Uh, it was a fun trip. Super amazing. Um, I love that a couple of things you said, first of all, you inspired me with your, um, national parks, uh, videos. And so I would, I was really wanting to get to the West coast and it just ended up that it kind of synced together, um, last summer. And I ended up planning a road trip. I did a two week road trip with my boyfriend. We flew into, uh, San Francisco and drove up to, or San Diego and drove all the way up to, um, Sacramento. We hit Joshua tree and Sequoia. We couldn't do Yosemite because of the limitations, but, um, 
that like, like the fast travel is kind of a cool experience because then you can see like a lot of areas and then you kind of like note like, okay, I want to come back to this place. So you're, cause you're saying, mm -hmm. you know, you can't see everything. Even if you only stayed in like one town or one city, you still can't do like everything there is to do. So I like the idea of kind of like checking out a myriad of places to see which ones really connect with you and which ones you really seem to like, Oh, I really need to go deeper dive into this location because I really am connecting with it. So I love that you talk about that, that part. And then also you talked about this whole concept of, um, medical services in other countries and how much more affordable it is. And there's a whole nother, that's a whole nother world of like understanding. And I know there's levels of, um, I tried to look into it for like a few hours and I got kind of I'm like, this is too much for me right now because <laughs> there's just a lot of layers of research that you have to do to understand the, the a little bit. Of, it's a little complex, but if you take the time, like you're saying, you could save thousands of dollars. So super amazing. So if people are interested in like, you know, if they're having these certain medical conditions, like there is other options than in the U.S. Um, if you don't have, especially like I don't have insurance right now, so. Um, I don't know if that worked with insurance or how that I, I'm guessing you didn't have insurance for that kind of thing. I did. Well, I mean, I, I have my insurance. I did not use it for that because number one, I was uneducated at the time. I didn't know that there is a possibility that your U.S. insurance will pay for those procedures. You know, uh, now, whenever I go back, I will check those things first, regardless, the, the amount of money that you're saving is so good that. You almost don't need to worry about it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. Uh, my understanding is there's a lot of U.S. Um, insurances that will pay for for you to get work done in other countries because that means that's less money for them to pay if you got it done here. It's more money for them to negotiate or you know work with if you were to get that same work done here. So they're happy to, you know, help. They're happy to help you do those things elsewhere. And this is just my understanding. I haven't deep dived that yet. So, um, but yeah, even going down to Mexico, um, you know, just when I was doing that research, you know, going down the, across the California border into Mexico, there's an amazing dental community down there because a lot of the folks that live in Southern California can go over the border and get world-class care that caters specifically to those people coming from Southern California and, and, you know, save a significant cost or go down to Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica, I believe is um, getting things right. Um, another place that's, you know, a really uh, good place to go for things like dental. So yeah, that was another one of those exercises in discomfort where th that idea just scared the hell out of me, but I didn't have a choice because financially there was no way. And I, Part of the reason I actually came home from that road trip out West is because I woke up one morning and out of a, out of a one to 10, I was at a nine out of nowhere of face pain. And, you know, for two or three days I couldn't function and I'm like, okay, this is a problem. I'm going to have to deal with it. So it, you know, it was, it was forced by necessity. You know, when I got back to Charlotte, I went to my dentist and they said, well, this is going to be about, you know, five to $6,000. And I went, there's no, there's no way. So I had to figure it out. You know, luckily our, our mutual friend, Jason Moore had recently done a podcast where I learned, you know, started to learn about medical dentistry and, and medical tourism. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm digging up that podcast. I'm going to listen to it again and, and start to follow some of those, uh, 
follow some of the threads. And that's what I did. I literally went through that and, you know, found the dental clinic that I went to through a couple of those websites and just started doing my homework. And um, it's just like planning a trip, you know, find a place that you feel comfortable with and again, take down the hurdles and then say, okay, well, what's the worst that can happen? Um, there's plenty of dental stuff that goes bad with U.S. dentists. And I had plenty of friends that they've had terrible experiences here in the U.S. And I'm like, well, if I can have a terrible experience here, same way I could have a terrible experience somewhere else or a good experience here or a good experience somewhere else, I'm going to go where I can save $4,000. <laughs> yeah, I remember that episode uh, that Jason Moore did. And it's funny, um, that was when I was getting my dental work done at the time. I had a lot of, I got bridges, um, top and bottom bridges and some teeth removed. Um, and <laughs> it cost me like $10,000, no, no lie. Yeah. And it's like, I was already in the process. Had I not already been in the process. And like, if I was like, if it was like a year before I had like already mindset, like I'm doing this kind of thing. I probably would have started to research into that more, but I just had already been in that process and I could probably could have yeah. saved a couple thousand dollars, but hindsight <laughs> 2020. Now I can like, if I have other issues, that's something that I can kind of keep in the back of my mind for future. However, in 2020, we had this thing called the COVID-19 pandemic, which really challenged a lot of us as like travel lovers. Um, so and at the time you were doing this whole digital nomad stuff. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of see how did you balance all this, what was going on? And I know you said about like coming to Charlotte. Does that mean like, did you have like a base or family member that you could like reach out to when you were in between those like traveling stints? How did that all work? Well, Charlotte, North Carolina was my home. That's where my house was. And, you know, from when I was 24 years old until I sold my house you know, two years ago. So 17 years, give or take, that's where home was for me. So I had, you know, family and you know, my, my father has lived there and, and then tons of friends that I, that were essentially family. So super supportive people, um, you know, some single friends with, with empty bedrooms to where it was like, okay, yeah, if you're going to be here for a couple of months, throw me some rent and easy peasy. So you know, that's kind of how I float these days during the pandemic is, you know, right now I'm up in Michigan at, at a friend's house and we, we just, uh, the three of us, uh, they're, they're married and we just get along extremely well. Like, you know, those people where you, you live with them and you're just like, everything's super smooth. So, you know, we all work in our separate offices for eight hours a day. We never see each other. And, you know, in the evenings we get to enjoy our company without, you know, dealing with the pandemic. Cause, um, you know, three months ago, I, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes. So that threw this whole new wrinkle into my, <laughs> so sold my house in May, 2019, went full nomad. And then March 14th came back from Mexico with all these travel restrictions and kind of went back to, okay, you're no longer nomadics. So start to figure this thing out. And then, you know, six months after that, I got uh, diagnosed with type one diabetes, which I didn't know anything about that at the time. I'm quite versed in it now, but uh, you know, I have a four, four times higher likelihood of going to the hospital if I get COVID because of the complications anybody with, with diabetes does. So, you know, I have a heightened sensation or heightened uh, reality of, you know, staying away from this until I can you know, hopefully get a vaccine or something in me. Um, I would love to be traveling. I'm so jonesing to buy a ticket somewhere. And, and just, even if I just have to hole up somewhere else in another country, you know, that, that enthusiasm that comes with new places and new experiences, I really want that. But right now it's, 
you know, the safest thing for me, especially as a solo traveler, you know, who wouldn't have somebody there with me to help me if I were to get sick or even, you know, just a normal sickness, you know, it, it comes with a lot more problems with type one diabetes. So, um, yeah, safest thing for me at the moment is just to hunker down until the vaccine gets in me and then hopefully go from there. Yeah, that's, um, it's a lot of changes. How did you cope with that? Was there any resources or tools that you felt really helped you in, in finding some calm during that chaotic time? And as you continue to like, we're still at this point in January, at the end of January in 2021, really not sure how this whole new world thing is going to happen. So, um, we talk a lot about like default, like things that would help us, um, to either reset or for mindset. Is there anything that you like as a go-to for you when you're dealing with this stress? Um, I assume you're asking like specifically about that transition to being diagnosed with type one. Um, uh, you know me, I'm an open book. Uh, hopefully my my, my wins or losses can help somebody else find their, their stuff. But, you know, when I got diagnosed, I was a, I was a, I was a mess for like three or four weeks. I was absolutely just for lack of a better word, destroyed. Um, because I had no clue what was going on. I, I had lost like 22 pounds in 30 days. My vision went from perfect vision to not being able to see 10 feet in front of me. I had no energy, you know, was drinking a gallon of, of liquids a day like this. It was a mass um, uh, shakeup in my body. And then, you know, that was the month prior to being diagnosed. And then I was diagnosed and yeah, I never understood that whole zombie mode idea of somebody who is told that they have cancer or somebody is told that they have, you know, a debilitating you know disease or something like that. Well, this was my opportunity to, to grow empathy in ways I never thought I would, um, you know, between, you know, the weight loss and the vision loss it, it that has all come back, you know, it's part of the side effects. Um, uh, and, and just that, going through it by myself, it, it helped me gain a lot of perspective for, for other people and just more empathy, more, more ability to look and say, I don't understand what's going on in this person's life, no matter what I see on the surface. So take everything a little bit lighter, you know, as I move forward. But, you know, the first three or four weeks I was, I, you know, I was comatose. I couldn't move. I was just frozen um, and freaked out. Finally, I think because of the way that I'm built, um, you know, the only reason I have the nomad experiment, the only reason I have the YouTube channel, the only reason I write is to try and help use any gifts that I might have to help somebody else find their way in whatever that is. And the reality of that situation was type one diabetes doesn't go away. (laughs) My pancreas has said, screw you for the rest of my life. So I get to deal with this thing for the rest of my life. So I kind of had to put it in perspective and say, this is you know, this is something you're either going to hide away and not, and, and not have this be front and center to the world. Um, front and center is maybe not the right word, but not be visible to the world. And you're going to hide this away and, and, and not allow it to help other people, or you're going to use whatever tools you have to mix this together with your story and see if you can help somebody else out to, to not go through what you're going through or have gone through or to help deal with things better. So that's what I did. I, I just said, you know, I don't want this to be 
I don't want type one diabetes to be my identity and nobody wants that of anything that they're, you know, dealing with, but it is there. And how can I, you know, use this as a tool to help other people. So that's what I've done. I've, I've slowly started to incorporate, you know, my story into the travel and nomadic um, experiment idea so that when other people um, stumble upon my stuff, they can see different ways to deal with life or to even understand life uh, outside of their, their purview. You know, somebody who's dealing with these diseases now, they, they might read one of my articles and say, okay, I don't have type one diabetes. I don't have diabetes, but I understand a little bit more about what people that do. Um, so yeah, I just had to kind of use that fuel to, to, to make a choice. And the choice was, you know, buckle up, you know, now you, now you get to learn to travel and learn to deal with diabetes all at the same time. And, um, it's going to be more interesting. (laughs) Wow. That's sorry. You have to go through all that. That's a Mm -hmm. challenging things to have all of those physical challenges where you literally can't function the way you had been for so long. So um, I'm really just wanting to show some like highlighting that it's, that's a big deal (laughs) and it's hard. It's hard. And like the mindset that you have around being able to want to help somebody, I feel like you recognize and you are aware of like, this is a problem. I need to take care of myself. And so and maybe asking for help is another thing. I don't know. Um, but it sounds like at least you're either taking matters into your own hands by researching and also asking for some help from others to say, um, how do I deal with this in a certain way? And then wanting to share this experience with others because um, you have a, in a, in a fact, you have a stage at this point in your life, you've built um a really solid YouTube channel with subscribers. You have, um, you're talking about a book, you know, you're doing blogging. That's a stage where you can share a message and sharing a message to being able to relate to people that have this exact, not only just the exact thing that you have or can relate to the situation you're in, but also people who, who don't know anything about it. And you're, you're shining a light on a topic and a subject that isn't typically forefront for most people and maybe most people are unaware of it. So I like the idea of not just like it, but I just, I feel like that's a powerful place to be. And it's, it's challenging to share your personal experiences, but doing it because it's for the greater good, I guess you could say of just wanting to inform people of this is what it is. And you're not, it's not meaning that you can't ever do the certain things. Like you're living your life <clears throat> while well, you're I, dealing I, with all this. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, for that first three or four weeks that I completely shut down, you know, the, the, what was going on was I did, the, I did think that essentially this life of travel was going to be completely scarred. And, and that, that feels like an, an ignorant statement to me now in hindsight, but that's what happens. Your mind, you know, short circuits. And, you know, if my mind can do it, then anybody's mind can do it. And, you know, all, we're all the same. Um, so, you know, to, to really look at other people as inspiration, number one, I, yeah, I, I went out there and I started connecting with people that have type one diabetes and just started reading what they were putting out there, reading about what that life entails. Obviously I would, you know, research crazy and start understanding things. Um, but 
the other the other side of that is that there are so many um, amazing people out there dealing with so much worse or more difficult worse isn't a, a good word there but much more difficult things to deal with um that it almost seems silly for me to have almost put that much weight on it at the beginning because you know there's there's just so many more so many inspirational people out there that are dealing with a lot heavier things in life um but but again that's just the realities our our brains short circuit sometimes we don't know how to process these things and you know we need to figure out how to get through and now you know yeah travel life has gotten more complicated but there's tons of folks out there that are you know in the NFL with type 1 diabetes there's travelers that are completely nomadic and travel the world with type 1 diabetes and do all the normal things it's just it's a lot more difficult and you got to be more cognizant and things like that so um yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a lifelong learning experience, but you know, it is what it is. Thanks for sharing. Um, I appreciate, and so many things you've brought so much wisdom to, uh, to me and I'm sure everyone else who's listening. Is there anything I haven't asked or we haven't talked about that you wanted to share with us? Um, I mean, yeah, if anybody's interested in a book on, uh, kind of, all of I've, I'm taking all the mechanisms that I've used over the past three or four years from going from a you know, purely a beginner traveler uh, to full nomadic and and using all of those anecdotes and some of those stories, it, kind of combine that into a self-help, you know, self-growth type journal that not only emphasizes the travel aspects, but it emphasizes the emotional aspects, the financial aspects, and you know all of the things that go into a, a a good holistic human being as that pertains to adding this travel, you know, to your life, you know, going from beginner to nomad essentially. Um, so it's a lot of fun. It's going to be super playful and, uh, you know, I'm a graphic designer by, by trade. So it's not just going to be words on a page. I promise it's going to be, you know, a lot of fun. So that's going to be dropping uh, second quarter, 2021. So. Oh, that's coming up. I'm super excited for you. I'm glad you brought up the book. And I wanted to, to chat about that because I've read your blogs and I watched your videos. And you have this way of making it so fun and interactive. <laughs> and you like you bring us there with the video or if you in your writing, you, you bring us there. Plus, you bring it like lightness to it and like just fun of like standing on a rock looking out like I can just remind myself of some of your videos I watched and just like having that like beginner's mindset and like experimental mindset of just like hey guys I'm checking this out it's crazy and and like that so I'm imagining that your book is going to be super fun like as as well thank you yeah. Well, thank you for being here on the Find Calm Here podcast. I'm super excited that you are willing to share some of your journey and your story through all of this amazing, crazy, weird, challenging life that we all live uniquely different and we all have these unique experiences um, to share. So I appreciate that and like just how we can find some calm with some of these uh, strategies, like just having that beginner's mindset, trying to look at things as an experiment, trying to just do something, just start and see how things go. And um, just letting go of like basically all the things that weigh us down 
um, because that's hard. But once you do, once you become that maybe free spirit or whatever, like you're not limited by your, you're not saying your own limitations. And I think you've, you've really demonstrated that and you continue to. So I'm excited for the book. I'm glad. Um, tell us where to, if people want to find you, follow you, tell us all your, your deets. Uh, yeah, the the nomadexperiment.com it can connect you into all of the other things. Um, also at the Nomad Experiment on YouTube and on Instagram. Uh, those are probably the Instagram's probably the, the main platform that I like to put. Uh, like you, I, I love photography, so um, I get to kind of combine my photography with with some words and uh, do that over at Instagram. So yeah, any just look up the Nomad Experiment and Jason, and you will probably find me. Yay. Yes. And I am a subscriber and we'll have all of this in the show notes for you guys. So for sure, check that out uh, and click on the links. Make sure you subscribe to Jason's awesome videos and check out all the amazing ones he's already done of his amazing travels. Uh, Thank you all for uh, sharing some time with us. I hope you can find calm in your day, morning, afternoon, night, evening, um, week, or wherever you are, whenever you are. Take care.